0: bulletin is the call to worship. It is the Gloria Patre, which is a doxology in which we as a community of believers give praise and glory to our God. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with the singing of Gloria Patre. take your trinity hymn books the trinity hymn books turning to 667 to god be the glory great things he hath done 667 in the trinity hymn book
1: Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this, your Lord's Day. And we pray, Father, that as we gather together, that we would indeed uh, bring glory to your name. Pray that you would help us as we open your word and hear it preached. Pray, Father, that you would help us to put aside the things of this world that we may focus on your Word that it may benefit us and that we may be more equipped to be faithful servants of yours. Father, we thank you for the hope that we do have because of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do look forward to that day, Father, we, when we may see Jesus. Pray, Father, that um, we might live a life that's pleasing and honoring to you here on earth. In the meantime, we would ask, Father, that. Um, As we gather together today, that you would be with those who can't gather with us. Uh, Pray that you would draw near to them uh, as they are on beds of affliction. Pray that you would be uh, with your word as it is preached in other places around our county and around our state and around our world. Pray, Lord, that your name may be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now again, take the
0: Trinity hymn book and turn to 547. Hymn 547, it's a hymn in which we confess our love to the Lord Jesus Christ. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. 547.
1: our consecutive scripture reading this morning. Uh, We are are in John chapter 21, John 21. As I begin reading through it this morning, this should be very, very familiar to you. You're going to say, oh, I recently heard this. This is the passage that Pastor Bauer opened for us just last week. And so uh, hopefully uh, many of the things that he brought before us will come to your mind. Um, As I read through it again, I don't think I need to make uh, much comment uh, because of that. Um, One thing uh, that struck me as Christ asked Peter, do you love me? I thought, what if we inserted our name in place of that as Christ asked each of us, do you love me more than these? And what could our... Uh, response and what would our response be? John 21. Uh, I'm going to actually, because the chapter starts out after these things, we're going to back up to uh, verse 30 of John 20, and we're going to see that John 20 and John 21 uh, both end very, very similarly. Um, the accounts of the deeds of Christ that are given to us in the Bible are only a fraction of the things that Christ did. And both uh, John 20 and 21 point that out. Uh, So if you would follow along with me, uh, John 20, starting at verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written down in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, believing, you may have life in his name. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. <clears throat> and in this way, he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon heard this, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the, other disciple came, but the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with them. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, "'Son of Jonah, do you love me?' Peter was grieved, because he said to him the third time, "'Do you love me?' And he said to him, "'Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you.' Jesus said to him, "'Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, You girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you to where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord. Who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to the Lord, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Jesus did not say that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen.
0: morning as we go to prayer once again we want to pray for uh, Pastor Bala who's one of the pastors at the Sovereign Grace Church in Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, Pastor Bala's recent letter was a report from his recent trip to India and uh, Pastor Bala has a unique ministry among Tamil speaking people around the world but especially in India God has given him many opportunities to mentor and help churches there in that country. And so we rejoice this past Wednesday at prayer meeting to hear how God used him there in this recent trip. And I believe it's going to be at the end of this week, Pastor Bala will be returning to India uh, for family conferences. So we want to pray for him. I got a letter from him this week, later in the week asking us to pray for him as he goes back to India. So I'll read that to you on Wednesday tonight, but it's primarily um, praying for his ministry this coming week. So let us seek our God together in prayer this morning. Our Father, you're an amazing God. The hymn writers put it, It's amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Another hymn writer spoke of the amazing love. How can it be? But Father, your grace and your love that is demonstrated in our lives causes us to stand back with a sense of wonder and amazement. That you would give your Son and pour out your wrath upon him for such ungodly, unrighteous sinners that we are. But Father, we do stand amazed that you were pleased to open our eyes and that you were pleased to break our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And bring us unto Yourself. And give us a righteousness that is not our own, but the righteousness of Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That we might be reconciled to You. That we might be able to now even come boldly before the throne of grace. And have an audience with that One who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Therefore, Father, as we have confessed with singing and as we were reminded in your reading of your word, we love you because you first loved us, gave your life a ransom for us. Therefore, Father, we thank you for the opportunity of gathering together as a community of your children And render unto you the praise and the honor and the glory that is your due. Father, we pray that you would receive our sacrifices of praise and be pleased. Father, we pray for your gospel that it would go forth. That you would be pleased to use us to spread the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. And as we seek to plant and water the seed that that you would give an increase that only you could give within our community and surrounding areas. Father, we're thankful for men like Pastor Bala, who's willing to deny himself, and he's willing to work so diligently, not only for the people of God there in Auckland, New Zealand, but for many of the Tamil-speaking people around the world. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity for him to return to India after being absent for two years. We rejoice to hear how he had met individuals who he had only known through the media and through Zoom. And Father, how we pray that you'll continue to use our brothers to see biblical churches established there in that country. We pray that you would be with him as he travels back to India even this coming week And bless, we pray, the ministry of your word at the family conferences that he'll be preaching at. Father, we're thankful for the periodical called Bible Lamp. And again, that avenue of spreading the truth of your word to Tamil speaking people around the world through that magazine. Continue to use it to that end. Father, we pray that you would give our brother strength as he shepherds the people there in Auckland and then as he has these other ministries. And Father, we pray that you would help him to be diligent to keep his own heart above everything else and continue to be found as a faithful shepherd of your people. Now, Father, we pray that you would be pleased by your spirit to come and, and meet with us around your word. Father, make that word active and lively in the hearts and lives of each one of us gathered in this place. Perhaps some who know you not may today be a day of salvation. And for many of us who do know you through your Son, may your word have an effect upon our lives. That we would not just be hearers, but doers of that word. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the word of God, I ask that you take the hymns of grace, the hymns of grace hymn book, 393. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. 393 in the hymns of grace hymn book. Let's stand together as we sing. 1 Corinthians chapter thirteen. First Corinthians chapter thirteen. Let me begin reading at verse four, and I will read down through verse seven. First Corinthians thirteen, verse four: Love is patient, and love is kind. Love is not jealous, and love does not brag, and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Stop our reading there. This morning we again take up our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in this chapter, the Apostle Paul sets before the believers at Corinth, as well as the believers at Reformed Baptist Church of Adrian, Michigan, the virtues... And characteristics of agape love. This love that is strange to our society and culture in which we live. It is a sacrificial love that should be an ornament that should hang upon every genuine Christian who has tasted of the mercy and grace of God. Paul tells us that this love is a more excellent way to live. And I would remind you of, of John's words there in 1 John chapter 3. We know that we have passed out of death into life Why? Because we love the brethren. And he who does not love abides in death. And so we have been considering together these virtues of love listed by Paul. And up to this point, we have considered six of them together. Two of them we combined. And so we said, first of all, love is patient. And by that we mean love endures much from others without retaliation. Secondly, love is kind, which means love gives much to others Without expectation. Thirdly, love is not jealous. In other words, love looks upon other success without resentment or bitter feelings. Fourthly, love does not brag, and we included, and is not arrogant. Which means love places others first without mercenary motives or expectations. And the last time we were together, love does not act unbecomingly. Which means love treats others with respect and dignity without rude behavior. And now this morning, we come to take up the next virtue, which is love does not seek its own. Which means love considers others' well-being without considering one's own rights or interest. Agape love considers others' well-being without considering our own rights or interest. Now as we come to open up this statement together, we, we shall take it up under three heads. First of all, a word of clarification. Then secondly, a word of explanation. And then finally, a word of application. So these three things we we want to consider together this morning. First of all, a word of clarification. Paul says, love seeketh not its own. The English Standard Version translates that love does not insist on its own way. The NIV, love, is not self-seeking. And the King James is much like the New American Standard. Love seeks not its own. Seeks not its own means that a loveless person desires to have his or her own way. In a word, it means you're selfish. Selfish. It is my way or the highway. You know that saying? Selfishness seeks the things that belongs to oneself, one's pleasure, one's glory, one's interest, one's opinion, one's desires. Whereas agape love is always, and I want to emphasize always, unselfish. Now here's the clarification I want to make. God never commands the believer to love himself. Why is that? Why does God never command a believer to love himself? Well, I believe the answer to that question is because loving ourselves comes naturally. And the fact is, listen, not all self-love is necessarily wrong. There is a natural self love. I believe that's why most of you got up this morning, got cleaned up a little bit, made yourself presentable. I believe that's why some of you this week may be going to a doctor. There is a natural self-love. And often, listen, often in the Bible, it is the standard by which we are to love others, right? Well, what's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor, how? As your self. How about we as husbands? How am I to love my wife? I'm to love my wife as myself. Matthew Henry says this, Indeed, self-love in some degree is as natural to all men. It enters into the very constitution... And a reasonable love of self is by our Savior made the measure of our love to our neighbors. It's the standard and measure by which we're to love our neighbors and by which I am to love my wife. So this is not negating every form of self-love. Listen to Mr. Barnes in his commentary. This expression is not, however, to be pressed as if Paul meant to teach that a man should not regard his own welfare at all or have no respect to his health, his property, his happiness, or his salvation. And then... Bring in the big guns. John Calvin. Here's what John Calvin says. Paul does not here reprove every kind of care and concern for ourselves, but the excess of it, which proceeds from the immoderate and blind attachment to ourselves. So Paul here, this is the clarification. Paul here is not cancelling every form of self-love. It is that over-focusing upon oneself. It is, as John Calvin says, the excessive looking at oneself and interest and desires and honor. Again, to quote Matthew Henry, The apostle does not mean that charity, love, destroys all regard to self. It does not mean that the charitable man should never challenge what is his own, but utterly neglect himself and all his interest. doesn't mean that. It means that overabundance of focusing upon oneself to the neglect of the well-being of others. Again, in Ephesians 5, when the Apostle Paul says, we as husbands are to love our wives as ourselves, he goes on to say this, No one ever hateth his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it just as Christ also does the church. And so there is the word of clarification that I wanted to set before you. Now secondly, notice with me the word of explanation. What is the point Paul desires to get across to his readers? While self-love is a normal act, it is an act that has been distorted by sin. Self-love has been corrupted by sin. So self-love has become like a, a contagious disease that has an evil effect Upon individuals, when they when they become so absorbed with his own or her own things, ways, desires, honor, and here the apostle Paul. Notice what it says here. Take take note of this. It does not seek its own. Something's missing. Did you notice that? Seems like, does not seek its own what? And Paul says, that's right. There's nothing about yourself that should be your passionate pursuit in this world. So you can fill in the blank. Does not seek his own ways. Does not seek His own interest. Does not seek His own opinion. Does not seek His own prestige. Does not seek His own material possess Do you get the point? Genuine love does not seek its own... Now you fill in the blank. You see, this applies to every situation in which we live. In my home, I do not seek my own. Can you imagine the conflict and the arguments that would be settled if men and women would so live with agape love that says, it's not my own. I'm concerned about the welfare of others. Can you imagine in the workplace where everyone would not seek their own interest and their own promotion, but be concerned about the welfare of others? Now is it wrong for you to pursue promotions? Is it wrong for you to seek to achieve certain things in your life? No. But not at the cost of neglecting your responsibility of loving one another as you ought. Can you imagine? Can you can you imagine Washington, DC? <laughs> if men and women would live not seeking their own, what a difference this world would be. And even, can you imagine in a church where everyone did not seek their own, but considered the well-being and what might be best for others. Do you remember in in Greek mythology, there was a Greek god named Narcissus? Remember him? And And he comes to this stream of water, and he looks in, And he sees himself and he can't get over it. And he stays there and simply looks in himself. And he's not concerned about anybody else. He's not even eating or or drinking or anything. He is just enthralled with the image of himself. And that ought not to be in the life of genuine believers. Paul describes what the last days will be like there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Do you remember what he says about the last days? He says this, For men will be lovers of what? Self. Men will be lovers of self. And that certainly describes our culture and our society. We are lovers of self. Again, to quote John Calvin, you know, he mentioned the excess, the excess of self-interest. He goes on to say the excess lies in this if we think of ourselves so as to neglect others, or if the desire of our advantage calls, calls us of, I'm sorry, and if the desire of our own advantage calls us from that concern which God commands us to have for our neighbors. When we're so wrapped up with ourselves, that we neglect others, or we're so absorbed with ourselves that we're not obeying the commandment to love our neighbors, the second greatest commandment, our self-love has become sin. So here's the question that I asked myself as I was thinking about this. What effect... Does my life have on others? What effect does my life have upon others? Paul tells us not to seek our own. And that word seek means to search or to pursue. To investigate something. That word the Apostle Paul uses in his letter, first letter to the Corinthians some seven times. Seven times he uses that word. And let me say this. It's not always in a negative way. Seeking is not always a bad thing. What does Christ tell us? What? Seek first the kingdom of God. We are to seek Christ when we pray. Seek and you will find. There are positive seekings found in Scripture. But we're also warned about seeking things we ought not to. For example, in Mark chapter 11, the chief priest and the scribes began seeking how they might kill Jesus. Now here Paul uses this very term in a negative way. Love does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own rights, its own desires, its own position above the needs and welfare of others. When you push others aside in order that you might get ahead. And so very simply, the term Paul uses here, and this, this is quite the theological term, so get ready. I mean, if you've got pen and paper, you might want to write it down. Right. He's saying this. You ready? Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Here, here, here's, he's referring to a person who never gives up. He never gives in unless he gets his way. Others may have different ideas. Others may have different opinions. Legitimate, good ideas and opinions. Just as good as mine. But I want my way. And I think I'm right. And this is my opinion. I want... I want things to benefit me. How, how often has a decision been made and our response was this? How's it affect me? Not does, does this help my brother? Does this help my sister? I mean, just simple things. And this has not been a problem here, so I just use it as an illustration. So if you're visiting with us, I don't want you to walk out here and say, no, oh, they got some problems over there. But, but you know, we, we, we have Sunday school at 945. And somebody may say, you know, I'm up by 7, and it would be easier for me to get here at 8 and have Sunday school and church a little earlier, and then I could have... And, and, and instead of thinking, you know what? What's best for the majority? What, what's good for everybody? Huh? Again, that's just an illustration. No one has ever come to me complaining about that. All right. How often do we think of others? How does this affect me? How, how does this benefit me? What good do I get from this? W- what about my time? The, the, there are things that, that take time and, and, and when we look out for the welfare of others, it means it means some inconveniences, doesn't it? You're you're sitting at home Monday night. Seven o'clock, Michigan, Washington, getting ready to play. And I got no dog in that fight, so don't ask me. And your phone rings. And the person on the other end says, Listen, brother, my wife's not feeling well, and my car won't start, and I need to get her to the hospital. And what's your first thought? Not during the game? Come on! You've got to be kidding me. That's happened. I mean, I've, you know me, I'm a hoosier. All right? Indiana basketball game comes on. Phone rings. Pastor, I need this. Do you, do you look at the Indiana basketball schedule before you call me? Yeah, it can be a bit inconvenience. There can be inconvenience when we truly love someone. And we'll give ourselves for their good. Living this way can also cause pain. You know that? When, when you purpose to live your life for the welfare of others and, and you reach out and seek to help others and then have them do something that disappoints you, grieve you, And you think, why why did I give my time for that? Why did I help them? Why why did I do that? Because you love. And love seeks not its own. We pursue our own self-comfort, we pursue our own conveniences. And loving others can be costly. And if we're here this morning and we don't we're like, "What? Loving others can be costly? Really?" Then have you genuinely loved somebody? Cuz it can be. Love is risky. It's a risky business. You can be hurt. Over the years when I've met individuals who've been hurt by churches or hurt by pastors. They, they build up this wall. And it's like, you're not going to come near me. I'm not going to get hurt again. And, and you've got to work at, at tearing down the wall and show them genuine love. God never calls believers not to take risks. Not to take risks that come with loving others. Think of, think of Moses. We read there in Hebrews that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses could have had everything. Could have lived in a palace. Could have eaten from a a bounty of food. And he could have been very honored by being called the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he tossed all that aside. Why? Why did he do that? Because he loved He loved God, and he loved God's people. And then, when you think of genuine love that seeks not its own, what do you think of? Our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father so loved the world that He was willing to give His only Son. And He gave His only Son for a people who were unlovely, unholy, unrighteous. He he, he gave His Son. Imagine, His Son. I love my sons. But He loved a people So much that He gave His only begotten Son. And His Son loved His people so much that He was willing to leave all the the glories of heaven to take on flesh like you and me. Remember there in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, Let us not seek our own interest but the interest of others. Let let us not just seek our own well-being, but but let us seek the well-being of others. And the Apostle Paul says, and let me give you an example of what that looks like. And what does he do? He takes us to Christ. Who was equal and was God. And He took on flesh. Why? Why? because He sought the well-being of others. Above His own interest, remember in the garden, He prayed, Take this cup from Me, but not My will, Thine be done. Jesus Christ came into the world not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, why? Because he loved. He loved a people. So the Word of God tells us, love seeks not its own. Love seeks, the welfare and the good of others without demanding their own rights and interest as they live in this world. Well, that's the word of explanation now. Finally, notice with me a word of application. How, how do we as a community of believers seek the good of others? Without standing on our own rights and interest? How how do we live a life void of selfishness? Because by nature we're all selfish. I, I will confess to you, by nature I'm a selfish man. How do we live an unselfish life? Well, There's three things I want to set before you. Number one, Do not live by the standards of this world. Do not live by the standards of this world. Paul tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We live in a culture, we live in a society that is consumed with self. We are a society filled with lovers of self. And sometimes we need to stop and ask ourselves and examine our own lives and say, Have, have I become like the world? Have, have I found myself living by the standard of this world, which is all about me and my success and, and, and my advantage and, and my prosperity and, and my interest and my good and my benefit? Have, have I found myself living by the standard of this world? Am I becoming like the world? Or as we ask a while ago, what effect does my life have upon others as we live in this world? And so the first application is, dear people, do not live by the standard of this world. The second application is this, live as followers of Jesus Christ. Live as followers of Jesus Christ. How how does a follower of Christ live? Well, a follower of Christ goes to church every Sunday. You ought to be in church every Sunday, but I don't think the Bible says followers of Christ go to church. It does say don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but what does it say about being a follower of Christ? We read in Matthew 16, it means this, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you've got to deny yourself, deny yourself. This is a mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. Matthew 6.24 If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. It's not about self. I've got to take up the cross. It's going to be costly. It's going to cost me time. It may cost me money. It may cost me comfort. It may cost me convenience. But I'm going to deny myself for the glory of my God and the welfare of others. That's... Why are some people so moved to to go to foreign countries and leave home and family and and, and eat strange food and learn a new language? It's because they, they deny themselves for the welfare and good of others. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. Again, Mr Barnes in his commentary says No man is a Christian who does not deny himself or no one who is not willing to sacrifice his own comfort, time, wealth and ease to the advance to advance the welfare of mankind. That's a pretty strong statement. No man is a Christian who does not deny himself or no one who is not willing to sacrifice his own comfort, time, wealth, and ease to advance the welfare of mankind. So we are not to live by the world's standards. We are to live as followers of Christ. And then this final word of application May God help each one of us who profess to know Jesus Christ to live our lives devoted to the glory of God. It's not about me. It's about glorifying God. What is? The catechism asks the question, what's the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The Apostle Paul says it this way, whether therefore you eat or drink. I mean, that's that's pretty simple things. I mean, I, I don't think when we go downstairs in a little bit and have lunch together, I can't imagine, you might do it today just because I mentioned this, but I can't imagine somebody pulling out of their phone and Googling how to eat. You take the fork in your hand and you stab the substance on your plate and you stick it. No, that's, that's the simplest things. But Paul says, even when you do the simplest of things, do it to the glory of God. And just to make sure he covers his basis, he says, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it to the glory of God. How I live in my home, I want to live to the glory of God. How I behave myself in the workplace, I want to do it to the glory of God. I want Him to be seen. How I I behave in a classroom, I, I want God to be seen. I want Him to be glorified. How I behave in a church, to God be the glory, great things He hath done ought to be our demeanor, to live for His glory. And so may God help us to be a people, to be a community of believers, to be a church whose lives are marked by not seeking our own. That the world may know that we are Christ because of the love we have for the brethren. And so may God help us to be concerned about the good and welfare of others without standing on our own rights or upon our own interest. And may I say this, this doesn't come naturally. This doesn't come the day we were born, we just were born selfless people. No, we were all born selfish. All right? That's why that little baby, when it wants something, it doesn't say, "Well, I don't want to disrupt the pastor he's preaching right now. I may make no, I want to make some noise. I want, I want it now. Why? Because we're born selfish. And we are by nature, we're all selfish. but you know what? And here's the good news. The grace of God changes us from what we are by nature. Now, we've got to grow. I'm still growing. That little selfish flesh pops up all the time in my life, and I've got to crucify it. My friend, you'll never live a selfless life as you want until you first come to Christ in faith and repentance. Old things pass away and all things become new when we come to know Jesus Christ by faith. Trusting in Him, recognizing I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I can't save myself, but there is one who can save me. And if I come to Him, He will in no wise cast me out. Well, may God take His Word and use it for our good this morning. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for the direction Your Word gives to us and pray that You would help us. Help us to so live, not seeking our own things, not seeking our own interest, but concerned about the welfare and well-being of others around us. Father, we would confess that we've often failed in this area. And pray that by Your grace and the work of Your Spirit in our hearts and lives, we would ever be growing in this area. Father, how we pray this morning for some who this whole idea is a strange concept. They do live for self. They are absorbed with self. Father, may they see that that will do them no good. in no way will will that ever find acceptance with God. May they see their sin for what it is and confess it and run to Jesus with the desire of that Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? And to hear the good news, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we would pray that today would be that day of salvation for some. And may You receive all the glory and the honor as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Closing, take your Trinity hymn books turning to 574. Trinity hymn books, 574. Have Thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. That is a selfless life. I want your way, Lord, and not my own. 574. Let's stand together as we sing. Visiting with us and have not signed the guest book—it's back there at the door. We'd love to have you sign that so we have a record of your visit. Let me also make mention of this—I forgot to announce this. Mrs. Middleton is working on a new church directory. So if there are some changes that have happened, you move, new phone number, email address. I don't think any birthdays have changed, but you know, only to year. But uh, she's working on that,
2: so. If